sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hey, we're back eight minutes after the hour. Thank you so much for listening to Green and Growing here on 95.5 WSB. I've been promoting this for over a week now. The fact that yesterday and today encompass the Great Georgia Pollinator Census and you don't think you have time for it. You don't think it's important. Well, those are both wrong. Those are both incorrect. That's pollinators are so important to just our essential survival. They they help provide the food that we eat, the flowers that we enjoy, and all of that. But more knowledgeable on the topic than I is Becky Griffin from the University of Georgia, and she is the coordinator of this Great Georgia Pollinator Census, which takes all years or all all, uh, all months the whole year to prepare. Welcome to the show, Becky. Thank you so much for being on this morning. Thank you for having me, Ashley. I'm excited to talk about this really fun, important project. Me too. And I mean, you have worked all year long and working closely with schools and larger groups too, just so we can get as much data as scientifically possible with folks' participation. First of all, tell me why uh, This year, it happens to fall on August 21st and 22nd. Why these two days of all the months of the year are the best time for us to count our pollinators? Well, that is a great question, and there is a method to the madness. I know folks in South Georgia are are sending me some bad thoughts because things (laughs) might not look so pretty down there. But this is a project that encompasses um, ordinary Georgia citizens, and we need things blooming all over the state, so up in the mountains all the way to the coast. It is also a no-cost STEM project for schools. So we want to make sure that schools are in session and they're not involved with standardized testing. They're not on spring break. And so by putting all of those pieces of that puzzle together, we came up with the end of August for the count. So they were the same weekend last year as this weekend. And that's really interesting that this is the second year that we've done this statewide. And I think it's so cool that there's a project like this that everybody in Georgia can come together for these same two days and really help out in the name of science, right? Right, and thank you thank you so much to the counters who have already counted, and thank you for those who are getting ready to look for some sunshine and head out to their garden. So this is really, I and mean, we talk about lazy gardening from time to time, and Becky, I mean, this project is like put a chair down in front of a plant, take 15 minutes, have a pen and paper, count what you see. I mean, this is like something so easy. There's no excuses to not do it. And look at the good you're doing. So let's walk folks through kind of what the process I know on the website, which I would love for folks to visit and follow along. You don't have to register to do it, but you do have to submit your counts to ggapc.org. So Great Georgia, G-A-P-C, Pollinator Census, Org. So, yeah, walk us through kind of what to expect when we start this. Sure. So the first thing is to pick your plant. So go out into your garden, and I tell people to find a plant that um, shows a lot of insect activity, maybe something that you already see some pollinators visiting. And we've had people submit using zinnias or black-eyed Susans. If you have some herbs that have already started putting out flowers mm-hmm. like basil, that is an amazing pollinator attractor. Goldenrod is even blooming. So something in your yard that you see blooming, get a chair, maybe some sweet tea, a pencil <laughs> and a paper. I love that. And you're going to, for 15 minutes, you're going to look at what insects land on that plant. Now, 
You may be thinking, I'm not an entomologist. I don't have the knowledge to do this. Well, we have fine-tuned the counting process that anyone can do it. And as you saw on the website, the insects that land on the plants go into different categories. So a carpenter bee, for example, which has a bald abdomen or a shiny hiney, as I like to tell the kids, that's one category. We have the bumblebees, those fuzzy bombus bees is another. Honeybees is one of the categories. And anything smaller than a honeybee goes in the small bee category. Hmm. And for those of us who are looking at the data, that is extremely important. We have over 4,000 native bees in Georgia. Wow. Or North America, I'm sorry. And a lot of people don't know that. They think honeybee is the only pollinating bee. But anything smaller than a honeybee really tells us how healthy our native bee population is. And, And then we have the wasp category, fly category, butterflies, and anything else that lands on that plant that you don't know, put it in the other insect category. So it's really simple and straightforward. So there are some insects that we may see, but they're not necessarily pollinators. Like they don't have the the structure on their body to really carry the pollen as efficiently as bees do, right? Right. But technically, if we think about what pollination is, which is the movi- movement of pollen from one plant to another, we can be pollinators when we work in our gardens. So things like wasps that hang out on those plants, maybe looking for a caterpillar or being a predator, they're moving from plant to plant. And even though they don't have that hairy structure to carry pollen, they're moving pollen back and forth. You know, I always used to think it was so neat, Becky, you know, I worked with Walter for about eight years as his producer in the Lawn and Garden Show. But when people were having trouble uh, with their summer vegetables, like trying to get the squash and trying to get the tomatoes, you know, they've got mm-hmm. the flowers and then just nothing would happen with the flowers while they weren't being pollinated. And he always had this tip or this trick of using the uh, eraser end of a pencil and you could just mm-hmm. gently, you know, move the pollen yourself. And I thought that's really cool that we could do that you know, as humans and just kind of intercede Mother Nature a little bit. When I worked, uh, before I worked with Extension, I managed a four-acre farm garden, and we had a bad year for pollinators, and I used a makeup brush. Oh, cool. Like an eyeshadow brush, yeah, yeah. So anything... But that made me really appreciate my pollinators, I'll tell you. Yeah, (laughs) because they do the hard work. I mean, you've got even hummingbirds. Hummingbirds, you know, Mm -hmm. they love bright-colored flowers, and you'll see them going. That's why... Feeders are red. Hummingbird feeders, the nectar doesn't have to be red, but that bright color is what they're so attracted to, and you'll even see them. But they work so hard. They're not just sitting up in the trees and just flying around enjoying the day. They've got work to do. That's right, and we appreciate that. So the categories, again, like it would be hard to break down. There's so many categories of bees. So tell us again how to kind of figure out what bee, because carpenter bees, are they kind of done? Are they Have they almost died no. off? No. Actually, they are um, one of our latest pollinators. They'll huh. be around for quite a long time, and they um, are one of the first ones to come out. And we generally, they have a bad reputation. You know, actually, the way that they will uh, destroy, you know, our fence posts or things yes. as the female digs those holes. But they are amazing pollinators because they are so long-lived. But they are um, out and about. I counted many of those yesterday. And, again, the, the key is that bald abdomen. They are so easy to spot just because of that. Not furry and at we, all. Not fur. No, they have some fur on their thor. You know, the the back of their neck and their head area is furry. And I got some good pictures yesterday of some of those bees getting down into some pollen. But the bumblebees are the ones that are furry all over, and they're just made to carry pollen. 
Now let's so we'll see a lot of those. Good. And let's talk about that. Folks maybe that already participated yesterday or that plan to participate today when they get on social media. You said you have loved seeing some of the pictures that people are posting. So if I get on, let's say, Twitter, how am I gonna find, you know, the categorization of what people have posted already? Um, our main social media outlet is the Georgia Pollinator Census Facebook page. Okay. And we chose Facebook because teachers like it. They like being able to post pictures of their kids doing all these events and sharing it with the parents. So all of our pictures are posted there. It is, um, I've seen just beautiful shots of pollinators, pictures of kids in schools with their masks on, practicing social distancing, out in the garden, doing counts. Um, and then the, my favorite part of this census, and it happened last year and it's already happened today, is when I get a note from somebody who's new at this. And they sat down, they did their 15 minutes, and they say to me, I had no idea. I had no idea of the diversity of insects visiting my plants. And the key is that most of them are beneficial. Absolutely. Most of them are not pests. Yeah, and you know, so even if you're a little afraid of bees, it's not like you're going to get right. stung working on a project like this. You're just standing back observing nature do its thing. Exactly. And um, they're not interested in you. They're interested in that flower. Right. So that's really fascinating. If if on Facebook or Twitter, you can just look up the hashtag GA pollinator, just search hashtag GA pollinator. And I've already done that on Facebook. And Becky, you're absolutely right. Schools posting great pictures. But that could be a good way for those of us who may not be familiar with what plants might be best, you know, I mean, something flowering right now. But look at what other people are looking at when you mm -hmm. when you search their pictures, you know. Um, Becky, we've got to go to break, but I do actually have one more great question for you. Could you hold over for five minutes and we'll talk about pollinator nesting boxes? Oh, yes, ma'am. I'd be happy to. Thank you. That is something that is so exciting that as I'm looking Becky up online, I have found so many of the great publications she has written on the Extension website through the University of Georgia, extension.uga.edu, creating pollinator nesting boxes for those of you that are handy. And we're talking about being hands-on and getting the kids involved in this pollinator census. But this is really cool, something that you don't have to be super handy to construct this. And it may even make a cool little gift for mom or grandma or a teacher or something like that if you could put this together. So I want Becky to be able to tell you more about that. So it is time for a break coming up on 818. And we'll be right back, plus more of your calls on Green and Growing. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Hopefully not looking ahead to a rainy Monday morning commute for sure. But for the weekend weather, that update brought to you by Finley Roofing. We've got a 60% chance for showers today. High in the mid-80s. It's starting that slow cool down in Georgia that we love so much getting into fall. Tomorrow, lower chance for scattered thunderstorms, 40%. Again, highs around the mid-80s and lows around 70. So I wanted to get right back to Becky Griffin joining us from the University of Georgia. And she is the coordinator of the Great Georgia Pollinator Census. Becky, good to have you back. This is two days out of the year. Typically this time every year we're going to do this. And all the other 365 days, you are working so hard to really crunch numbers and data from those of us, citizen scientists, who help with this project. Yes, uh, it is an all year long. We're, we're still working on getting the data published from last year. Those of you who are in the academic world know those data, uh, those peer-reviewed journals take time. Mm -hmm. But we're still working on it, and we'll be working on, on this data uh, probably starting Monday. 
Wow, the findings from this are so great. So those of you that want to participate and get the kids involved, just go to GGAPC. That stands for Great Georgia Pollinator Census, GGAPC.org. And Becky, I wanted to talk to you really briefly since we're talking about pollinators. You've published a great piece on uh, extension.uga.edu a little while back, creating pollinator nesting boxes. So in about Mm -hmm. a minute, encapsulate that for me and tell me what that is. Sure. We have some native bees that are cavity nesting bees, and they don't make the holes. They just find holes that are already there. In nature, that would be hollow-stemmed plants like black-eyed Susans, and they lay eggs in there and seal them up. So things like mason bees and leafcutter bees will use these. And if you make a nesting box and put it at eye level in your pollinator garden, you'll actually get to watch these bees make their nests, and it's fascinating. The trick is to be sustainable. Um, make sure as you make these boxes, make them as simple as possible, mm-hmm. untreated wood, and after a year or two, take them away when they're empty and replace them with a new one. We don't want to attract any pathogens or parasites to those little cocoons as they nest in there. So this is really cool, nesting boxes. If you want to see what we're talking about, that's up on my Facebook page on Green and Growing WSB. You'll see what one of those nesting boxes looks like, and it's something that's homemade. And like you said, we need to think of it as sustainable too, Becky, right? Right. Exactly, yes. And bee hotels, my goodness. If you have a hammer and nails and a little bit of wood, you could put together a bee hotel. So cool. So one more time, Becky, if you will, tell us, because we want to get the kids involved. We want to get the families involved. All it takes is 15 minutes today, how they can help. Yes. Well, I want everyone counting today and to get all the information, how to count, counting forms, ideas for fun activities for the family today. Go to our website, which is ggapc.org. You'll upload your counts there and find all the resources. And Ashley, please say hello to Walter Reese for me. He and I are old buddies. And if you ever need any any good stories on him, just let me know. <laughs> Where were you for his 25th anniversary show? That would have been awesome to share some of those I think stories. maybe I was left off that list on purpose. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Becky, thank you so much. And actually, earlier in the show, Walter mentioned you. We had him on at 630 and talked to him about pollinators in anticipation for our interview. And he said to tell you hello as well. He said, Ashley, you're so lucky to get Becky Griffin on with you this morning. Best of luck, Becky. In September, we are going to follow up and see what the results of our Georgia citizen scientists come up with in the great Georgia Pollinator Census. Great to talk to you. We got to go. We'll be back for the last half hour of Green and Growing on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Rolling right along on a Saturday morning with you here on 95.5 WSB, the best radio station in the country, in my humble opinion. Definitely the largest in the Southeast. So welcome to 95.5 WSB. Glad you're listening on a Saturday morning and you found us on Green and Growing doing a uh, kind of a lawn and garden-oriented show, talking about bees and pollinators and insects and all kinds of things, too. So happy to take your calls, 404-872-0750. And not just 
you interacting in your own yard, but making it really about the wider environment and the community that we all share. So trying to get you a little more engaged and involved. A lot of us are beginning gardeners, a little intimidated by the process. So I always try to come up with fun ways to to get involved and to learn a little bit more. So my thanks to Becky Griffin from the University of Georgia talking about the uh, Great Georgia Pollinator Census that was yesterday. And today is the second and the last day of that. And also going along with that theme of pollinators, you know, Pike Nursery has all the plants for that. And we're joined this morning by Charles Lampkin, who's the store manager over in Marietta at the Roswell Road store. Hey, Charles. Good morning, Ashley. So right in step with us promoting pollinators on the show today and getting folks involved in this census. You know, and Charles, they're counting insects that they see on a given plant. You guys are featuring a really good plant that could be used for just that today. We are, and thank you for bringing up the census. I'll, I'll get home today after work and get on to that. But um, yeah, in our in our ads and in our greenhouse and in the landscape right now, you're seeing paniculata hydrangeas in full bloom. Um, it's a it's the last it's the last blooming hydrangea out of uh, out of the different families, and they'll bloom now and and last well through the summer and possibly in the fall. And two in particular we're um, featuring in our ad is the vanilla strawberry and the strawberry someday. If you have a sweet tooth, those two names are so attractive, vanilla <laughs> strawberry and strawberry Sunday. Why are they named that way? Is it for the color? It is. Um, so um, most of your paniculatas are going to come out kind of limish green and fade to white. These come out white and then fade to a nice pink and later on in their blooming cycle, they might even go to a deeper pink, almost Ooh. red. Wow. Um, so, yeah, two really cool ones that really uh, that really uh, show that color well. And two of the only ones that really do get that pink color out of the paniculata family. So we love our hydrangeas, and we're so fortunate being in the region of the country that we're in that we enjoy the macrophylla, the more puffy hydrangeas, you know, earlier in the summer. And we're still enjoying hydrangeas now, just shifting to a different variety, that panicle or paniculata. So, Charles, kind of describe what that looks like for folks who don't know the difference between that macrophylla and the panicle. Yeah, so your macrophylla or your traditional mop head are really big hoofs of blooms, pom-poms of blooms. The paniculata hydrangeas have more of a cone-shaped. They're slender blooms, um, but they tend to last longer. Mm Um, and they're they're very full, they're very heavy, and uh, you're not you're not going to see them in blues like you will your macrophylla. They're going to come in whites and pinks, so you don't need to worry about any pH adjusting of your soil to get that perfect color. They come out they come out naturally, white and pink. Um, another great thing about these hydrangeas is because they bloom so late, we don't have to worry about a late cold spell zapping their buds off. Um, like like can happen with a macrophylla sometimes. Right. Um, so these are a guaranteed bloom, um, and, and trimming and maintenance is very easy on these. And they can also tolerate sun, which we don't think of hydrangeas being able to take our sun. But these uh, paniculata hydrangeas are going to need a good bit of sunlight to produce those uh, beautiful blooms. And they're a lot more forgiving when you're pruning them as well. But Charles, like you said, Mother Nature kind of takes care of the color change. I mean, mine do. They go from that 
white to almost a pink and then a green and the vanilla strawberry and the strawberry sundae, you said later go from a white to like a deep pink. And they dry really well, too. If folks want to kind of keep them and use them in some kind of arrangement or something in the house, these dry oh, beautifully, don't they? Definitely going to mention that. Awesome cut flowers. Um, and and they can kind of help you with your pruning cycle, too. Um, you can cut off the, the blooms after they're done blooming and uh, arrange them in, in pots or in vases uh, in the house. Um, but if you do need to do a major pruning and want to and want to take them down, because this vanilla strawberry can get six feet and wow. taller, um, the correct time to bloom is when they start leafing out next spring. Again, mm-hmm. they haven't set their buds. You would never do that with a macrophylla. You would never do that with an oak leaf. Um, but as soon as they start leafing out, you can trim them down almost as, almost as far as you need. And and they'll they'll flush back out and they'll set their buds in later spring. Good, can't mess the pruning up. Well, Charles, just one more question for you about these hydrangeas, the vanilla strawberry and the strawberry sundae. Ideal soil conditions. I go to Pike Nursery today, grab a couple of pots of these. What do I need to do to prepare the soil properly? I would make sure it's it's a conditioned soil um, when you when you do go to plant the plant. Dig it wide, uh, two to three times the size of the root ball. And and do mix it in with some uh, with some planting mix or other tree and shrub soil, and just make sure you're incorporating some of that clay you brought you took out of the hole. Make sure you're incorporating it at about a 50-50 mix with the bag soil you're putting into the hole. And then if if for some reason we don't get rain, which we've been very <laughs> lucky I, I think recently, we'll, we'll be okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if for some reason we're not getting rain, hydrangeas are are water water hungry plants or water thirsty plants. And uh, make sure we're giving them a good water as early in the morning as possible. And you might see some flagging in late afternoon, nothing to worry about. And, um, yeah, just make sure they get they get the water they need. Great. Well, you got to go by the Pike Nursery off Rosal Road. Say hey to Charles for sure. Charles Lampkin, when you get home, you are going to be counting your pollinators. You're going to go to ggapc.org, and you're going to be a citizen scientist today, too. Who knew? I just added another All job right. to your description. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for being on the show. That's great information. And tell folks where they can find out more. You can find us at our website at pikenursery.com. We have a wonderful Facebook page. I think we're on Twitter as well. Instagram, all those great little channels to, to find our to find the information on our wonderful company. All right, Charles. Well, have a good weekend. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Ashley. Bye-bye. All right. We'll talk to you next time. 404-872-0750. Up next is Carol in Marietta. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Um, I've, I have a problem in my backyard where there's a zoysia grass that was planted sod a couple months ago. And now the hickory tree that's next to it, the squirrels are up there eating all those nuts and dropping tons of shards all over this grass. And I'm just wondering, is it going to hinder the grass growth uh, thickening up and, and um, you know, thriving in that area? You know, sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. There are several species of hickory trees, and some produce more desirable nuts than others. So sometimes, yeah, the seedlings will sprout. So you've got a couple of options. Uh, you can hand pull them if you're not dealing with a large space, or you can spot spray once they get to that stage where they sprout. Uh, spot spray them. This is a chemical I talked about earlier in the show with something, uh, an active ingredient of triclopyr. So triclopyr is that active ingredient that's going to be more of a selective herbicide. It's not going to damage the lawn or products that contain 2,4-D. 
Um, that's really kind of what you want to hone in on. Manual removal is probably best. And two, for those of you who deal with hickory nuts and they're just absolutely crazy, um, have you ever seen, Carol, something like a, a cyclone rake or something that like vacuums oh. them up and moves them out of the yard? Uh, no, that's what I was wondering. And it's not really the nuts that are that are whole and sprouting. It's the all the tons of shards that the squirrels are dropping on the grass. Yeah, that that is less worrisome. I know it seems a little more disruptive for sure with all those pieces, but no, that is not really going to unless it's just covering an entire area of the zoysia to where the zoysia is not getting the sun that it needs. But otherwise, okay. now the shards and the shells aren't going to do much damage. Okay. All right. So it's just not fun to grow to walk on in bare feet. No, that and sweet gum, stag gum. I I can't stand either one of them. You're right. And then have you ever been hit in the head with a hickory nut? That doesn't feel good. No, I hear them falling, and I think I need to wear a hard hat when I'm yeah, out there. Sometimes. Take cover. Uh, well, great question. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you. Have a good Bye. morning. That's a fun question. I like that. 404-872-0750. Joe Incoming, you're up next. What's going on? Hi. Hey. I have problems with not said weeds. Okay. What what lawn them. what lawn do you have? Uh Bermuda. You've got Bermuda lawn. Okay. So you're just trying to keep up with the weeds, right? Yeah, the not said. Not sedge, okay. So nutsedge, that's something that we definitely want to get to with a pre-emergent just to make a stronger Bermuda lawn and try to stop it from sprouting. Um, Yeah. So what's your, what is your, um, like your weed protocol in the yard? How good are you about, you know, keeping up with uh, doing all of the things ahead of time? I, I hired several companies already. Oh, you wow. know, to spray them, mm-hmm. but nothing is happening. So maybe I'll <laughs> get another one again. <laughs> yeah, I know it is so tough to get ahead of for sure. So let me direct you to um, to Walter's website. You know, who hosted the Lawn and Garden Show prior to me? When you go to WalterReeves dot com, Joe, I want you to go there and just type uh-huh. Nutsedge. Type Nutsedge in the search bar over to the right, and that's a list of all the chemicals. There's a number of them. Um, okay. And you'll see pictures of the, the I don't have time to get into the all the products that you can use, but there's going to be chemicals that you'll be able to yeah. identify the nut sedge that you've got by looking at the bottle because there's yellow and purple nut sedge and blah. So all the different chemicals mm. and stuff you can use there. Click on that article, nut sedge control in the landscape, and that's going to direct you to the right place to find the chemicals that you need. Okay. That's okay. Walter... Walter Reeves. Re- so it's R-E-E-V-E-S. Yeah. Yep, WalterReeves.com, and just type in Nutsedge, and you will be well on your way. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks, Joe. Have a great morning up there in Forsyth County. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to Mark in Dawsonville. I hope I have time for these calls. A new Bermuda lawn, about four weeks old. Can he level it? Is it too late? And Jim and McDonough, brown spots in the Bermuda. We had a very similar call with brown spots in the centipede lawn earlier on the show. So we'll tackle that and uh, a little bit more. Some final thoughts on green and growing when we get back. Keep listening to 95.5 WSB. So you finally got the nerve to ask that little girl you've been digging on if she wants to go out. 
said yes. Now you're wanting to impress, but you ain't got no Casanova, no how. But with your gardening skills, oh, if you had mad gardening skills, she, I would be so impressed. A few more minutes left of the show here on Green and Growing, a weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. we got to do that. To let you know, it's going to be a high in the mid-80s today, 60% chance for showers, 40% scattered thunderstorms tomorrow around the area, much the same, high of around 86. And the low is really pleasant. Driving in this morning, it was like 68 degrees. It's definitely window down weather. It's 70 degrees now. So yeah, if you're buzzing around town, go ahead and put that top down and roll the windows down and a sunroof. Now it's time for the three things. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right, so quick and easy. Three things if you get nothing else done. Number one, it's time to spray kudzu with a non-selective weed killer. That just means something that's going to wipe it all out or mow it if need be. You can use bio-advanced brush killer for poison ivy if that's bothering you. That's more of a selective um, herbicide with uh, triclopyr as the active ingredient, so it's not going to kill everything around it. Number two, it's time to plant and enjoy the climbing vine Sweet Autumn Clematis. I posted a picture of Robert in Kentucky's uh, Clematis that's just growing beautifully. Plant that. Pick it up at Pike Nursery. It smells great. And also jasmine, too. You can still get blooms into the fall with that one. And number three, you want to pinch growing tips of overgrown coleus and begonias, other summer annuals. And I just kind of clipped the tops of my mums the other day to keep those compact through the fall season. 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. That's the number for Dave Baker if you want to talk to him after 9 o'clock. But Mark in Dawsonville called that number, and here he is on the radio. Hey, Mark. Good morning, Ashley. How you doing? Really good. So uh, are you having any luck with that new Bermuda lawn of yours? Well, I've uh, I've, I've got in. The yard, yard was placed uh, four weeks ago. It's new construction, Bermuda. Got in there, did the, did some pre-emergent, did some fertilizer. It's looking pretty good. And my question now is, are we too late into the growing season for me to hire somebody to come in and do a lawn leveling to <laughs> fill in those seams and, you know, make it look nice? Am I going to get any growth? Yeah, I'm not going to say no, you can't do it. The best time, though, is when the grasses are rapidly growing. So, you know, Bermuda's kind of on the slow decline right now. Um, but you know, you just seeded, you've got new growth. So I, I think it'd probably be okay to do now. Hopefully I'm, I'm giving the right advice there, but with leveling, most people think just sand is used and that's not really going to be what you want to do. Um, you can do the sand with some dry topsoil. That's a little bit better for leveling it out. Bag topsoil that you can just purchase at a garden center at Pike Nursery or whatever. And then just spreading that out with a shovel and with a rake and all of that. I think it's going to be okay. The only concern I have, though, Mark, is generally once we do the leveling, when the grass is growing rapidly, we want to do another fertilizer application like six weeks after that just to give it a boost. And you're obviously not going to have that opportunity to fertilize it six weeks from now. That's going to put us, what, pretty late at the beginning of October. But um, consult the landscape professional that you're thinking about using. Like I said, the best time to do it is is back when it was really vigorous, but I don't think now you're going to do any harm to it at all. So give it a shot and just be planning ahead, folks, too, when you are planning a new lawn like that. Just go ahead and look over the entire area and make sure you've got the ideal conditions. But it sounds like you're doing good with that. And Mark, one more piece of advice, too. I don't know if Bermuda is new to you, but anybody who has a grass that they're unfamiliar with, but they want to make it their best, Go to WalterReeves.com and type in lawn care calendar. 
I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. The University of Georgia and Walter have put together these calendars for every grass in Georgia. And really, it's best practices. How to mow it, when to seed, when to sod, if you want to do it that way, fertilizing. And of course, we're coming up on the time of year for a pre-emergent to uh, prevent those pesky winter weeds from germinating. So all of that is going to keep you on track if you pull up the lawn care calendar. Don't forget to participate in the pollinator census we've talked so much about. Get the kids out there today, please, today. 15 minutes, ggapc.org. I'll be happy to send you that website. If you forget, visit me on the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. Have a great Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.